You are listening to the sermon podcast of Connection Church, a gospel-centered community on a mission to make much of Jesus in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. For more information, visit SiouxFallsConnection.com. Thank you for listening. So uh, I want to invite you into our custom now to walk through books of the Bible together. And, uh, and I want to invite you to Psalm 119. That is, you'll make your way to the Psalms just by finding the middle of the Bible. Don't be afraid to use the table of contents. If, if this is one of the first times you've opened a Bible, then I'm especially grateful for you. We believe there's treasures in here uh, that, that, are, that are just as powerful for the person who opens the Bible for the first time as the person who has opened the Bible for the thousandth time. And so I'm grateful that you've joined us to do that. And this is our custom to walk through chunks of the Bible and letting it kind of set the stage for us. And as I try to remind us regularly, as you open the Bible, something amazing happens. The Bible actually begins to open us. And so I want to read for you the first three stanzas, that is the first 24 verses, of what is the largest chapter in the entirety of the Bible. Psalm 119, fixed in the middle of the Psalms, the the hymns or the songbook of Jesus, if you will, the poetic literature of the Old Testament that speaks to almost every single issue in life. And and in Psalm 119, what we find is a hymn, a, a, a word of praise to God for His Word. A word of praise, a hymn, a love song, if you will, to God for His Word. The fact that God speaks to us is, for the psalmist here, a cause of deep and great reflection. Now, as we saw in the book of Lamentation, and we've seen before, this psalm is written as an acrostic. And all you Old Testament scholars, yay, you're excited now, right? That means that the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet set the first figure or letter of every single line. And so you'll see, if if you want even, the names of the Hebrew letter. So maybe this is for you an opportunity as we're walking through the book of, uh, or the, the 119th Psalm over the next six weeks to memorize the Hebrew alphabet. You'll see the three letters headlines on these stanzas, Aleph, Beit, and Gimel. And each of those eight verses in each of those stanzas begins with that letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So I'm going to read to us the literally the ABCs of the Psalms. So beginning in verse 1, in this hymn, this song of praise that you and I are invited to reflect on and ruminate upon, that God is not up there and out there, but God actually speaks to His people. So beginning in verse 1, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in His ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. 
I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth and the way of your testimonies. I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. I pray that the words of my own mouth and the meditation of all our hearts might be in line with this word and thus pleasing to God. I want to give you, over the course of the next six weeks, not only maybe a tour of the longest chapter in the Bible, but I want to regularly be giving you reasons why we're even doing this. Why should we be reflecting on this psalm? Uh, many of you will know it is our custom over the course of summers. We typically walk through Psalms, there's 150 of them. There are, they are ruminations of the depths of the believer's soul. They're the songbook of Jesus. Jesus quotes the Psalms more than he quotes any other scripture. And in the midst of this hymnody, this hymn book of Jesus and of the believer, of God's people, is this massive hymn and song to God's word. And so first and foremost, why would we do this? Because the psalmist seems to think this is really important, right? This is the, I mean, I don't, I don't want to mess you up here, but this is the, uh, the Bohemian Rhapsody of the Psalms. This is the November rain of the Psalms, the Inagata Davida of the, I don't know what, whatever, you know, the long song that your friend is like, we got to listen to the whole thing. You're like, no way, there's too much of this, right? Whatever that, I don't want to, you know what it is, whatever it is for you. This is that song. It's, it's the epic psalm. It's the one that's the, the lengthiest. It's, it's got the most in it, and it's, it, it is in many ways the most poetic and descriptive of any of the psalms because the psalmist goes through 22 stanzas to look at the same topic from 22 different perspectives. And the most epic hymn, the most epic psalm that the psalmist wants us to be humming and thinking on is a hymn about God's Word. Now, the language you'll see used here there's eight different words that are synonymous or used interchangeably to describe God's word. And you caught some of those things. You'll see the word law used 25 times over the course of Psalm 119. Now, you'll, you, you'll see the word word, the word of God, used 24 times with reference to the spoken word of God. But you'll see another word 
translated word also 19 times that refers to a more general speaking of God. You'll see the word judgments 23 times. You'll see the word testimonies 23 times as well. You'll see the word commandments 22 times, statutes 21 times, precepts 21 times. Eight different words used to describe the same thing that believers relish in and adore about God most highly, namely that God is not a stranger to us, but God speaks to us. And so if you're in this room, and maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, maybe you wouldn't call yourself a believer, or maybe you're not sure, I'm so glad you're here. You're always welcome here. And I would love for you to listen in on the meditations of what a believer has as a result of knowing God through Christ. Namely, that we believe the absurdity that God speaks to us. God, the creator and designer of the universe, is mindful of us. He would speak to us. He would speak to us generally as we gather together and open the Bible, but he would speak to us specifically in the still small voice in our own souls. God speaks. That is incredibly good news. And that word used eight different times or eight different ways repetitively for the next six weeks is meant to be grinding in your head a reminder. And I'll do this as often as I can. God has not abandoned you. The God of the universe has something to say to you and to me. And wonder of wonders, he might use me to do it. He might use you to do it. So I want to give you a kind of a snapshot of what we mean when we think about those eight words describing all that God reveals to us. Because Christians believe that the word of God, that is the testimonies, commandments, precepts, are found in the scripture. Why do we believe that? We believe that God interacts with creation. God interacts with his people. God speaks to his people. And the word that God speaks is not a word of judgment or condemnation, but a word of grace in Christ. And so, from the very beginning, God reveals himself and speaks to to people like Abraham and people like Moses, and and these people wrote it down so that we would have it. And then other people recorded what God was doing, the miraculous works of God delivering and God restoring his people, and they wrote it down. God gave an insight into the future, and the prophets wrote it down, and we have access to all of that wisdom that God has revealed to his people over time. But then the New Testament tells us something else. That the most definitive word that God speaks is in Christ. So I'll borrow an idea here and try to illustrate it for you. I'm stealing it from a 20th century theologian by the name of Karl Barth who speaks about this. But if you think about the concept of the word of God, the testimonies, law, the expression of God that God speaks to us, it might be good to think about it in concentric circles. First and foremost, like I told you, God speaks in what we would describe as general revelation. You can look at Psalm 19 to see this, or you can see Romans 1. Psalm 19 says that the heavens are declaring the handiwork of the Lord, that creation is pouring out words that point to the Creator. 
Right? This, is, this is the basis for what many of us know as the scientific method, that people began to realize, hey, the God of the universe created order, and therefore that order can be observed, that order can be understood, and therefore we can understand things about the world because it was created in such a way that speaks to the very consistency, faithfulness, and unchangeability of God. Okay, so... So we see that also in Romans 1, that even people who who may not call themselves Christians know enough about the world to know that there's something consistent. There's something powerful in the world. There's something that seems to be holding all these things together. And it doesn't seem to be an accident. And it's a beautiful thing. However, as As that is beautiful and amazing, and you can look at a beautiful sunset and see the the fingerprints of a good and merciful God. You can can eat an apple and realize there's there's a creator who doesn't just want us to subsist, but wants us to thrive and delight and enjoy his plan for us. There's more. For those of us who have met the God of the Bible, the God who reveals himself as a redeeming God, a God who doesn't give up on his people, we have the testament of of the Scripture. That is the Old Testament of God's promises to His people to deliver and the New Testament of God's promises fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so inside of that, we would say, is a more powerful, a more amazing revelation that testifies to the nature and character of God, not just as a creator of a, of a beautiful landscape, not just as a designer of a big playground, but a person who loves the people inside it. You'll see language in First Timothy, to this end, that the Scripture is it's worthy of our attention. It's breathed out by God. It's inspired by God Himself. However, you could get all of that. You could love a beautiful sunset. You could memorize every word of the Bible. But here's what we find out. If you have not met Jesus, you in fact have not actually heard God. The Gospel of John begins with a, a powerful revelation John tells us the story of all creation isn't just a story of of stars and planets. The story of God's creation begins with an utterance. And he says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word. That is, God spoke a Word. And that Word became flesh. That Word was one with God. That is, it, it took on flesh as God in the flesh and walked among us. And by that word, that is Jesus Christ, we know God. Jesus testifies to this. He tells a bunch of people who were experts on the Scripture. He says, you you think because you understand and know the Scripture, you think you've accomplished something. But he says, but you don't realize that the Scriptures testify to me. And so for the Christian... We love the Scripture. We love the Bible. This is why every, every, every single week we get together and we, we sing words of Scripture. We, we, we commend words of Scripture to one another, and someone stands here and opens up the Bible and, and begins to expound upon it, trusting that there's some timeless word. But if all of those words point to something other than Jesus, then they're not words of life at all. And this is incredibly important for us because you could love and memorize the Bible and yet not get its point. You could miss that the message of the Bible is God speaking definitively in Christ. And so here's what I think we see in Psalm 119. If we think about God's word 
His speaking to us through revelation that is general and creation, that is specific and special and beautiful in the scripture, but definitive, final, and life-giving in Christ, then Psalm 119, as a reflection upon God's speaking to us, is a hymn concerning all that God offers us in his word and at the center in Christ. So over the next couple of weeks, I want to walk you through some of these things. So that's why, one reason, we want to do this. There's, this book points to Jesus unlike any other book in the Bible. It whets our appetites. But I also want to give some very practical application for how we can, as a church, use this Bible. I'm going to give you some homework every single week. Okay, I'm going to give you three things. I'm going to give you three things. One, I want you to begin a time of Bible reading every day for the next six weeks by reading one stanza in the Bible, or one stanza in this, in this chapter in the Bible, and then read something in Scripture, even if it's just a little, if your attention span, right, I mean, like, that's the hard part, right, like, this thing, this thing has killed our attention span, right, you know, next, right, we can't, can't sit, okay, fine, we'll start with what we got, right, it's better than nothing, okay, but I want you to start by shaping your attention span in this meditation upon the value and beauty of God's Word. So, for example, maybe tomorrow you'll start with the first eight verses, and I'll share with you, like, um, this is my personal reading Bible, okay? And so you'll see some marks on here. And so every day I begin, you'll see some of these marks. This mark will take me to 119, and it will take me to whatever letter I'm in. And so you'll see I'm in the very last letter of Psalm 119, Tav. And so I'll read that tomorrow. And then I'll go to whatever Bible reading I have planned. I'm in the book of Numbers. Yay. <laughs> go maths, right? And then Tuesday, I'll start all over again. I'll take the marker and I'll go back to the very first letter. And I want to I encourage you to do I want you to think of this like this is not just something that some expert on a stage stands up every Sunday and, in, and like entertains you with. This is the living and active speaking of God the Creator. And so, think of it like you've got a notification for Monday morning. The God of the Bible is something He wants to say to you. So just pick, start in the first eight verses. Here's the second thing I want you to do. I want you to every week commit one verse in whatever, in whatever section we're in to memory. Even if it's bad, like even if it's like, even if it's not that good, um, I mean, try not to memorize it in a way that's heretical, right? Like, in a way that exalts you and not God, you know, but, but memorize at least one script. So here's a second marker you'll see. And right now it's on this section in verse 89 through 104. And this is something I'm committing to memory. I'm not going to do it now. Maybe we'll, when we get there, I'll, I'll have enough of it memorized. I can do a few letters at once. So those are the, the two things I want you to do. First, I want you to commit every single day. Try it out. And if you, and if you mess up, that's fine. Start again the next day, right? Like, hey, I'm a few days behind. Okay, no shame, no condemnation. You've never done this before. Let's be honest. Start over. <laughs> take baby steps. There's no reason any of you should think you'd be any good at this. And we're going to learn and take baby steps together. And you're going to find something amazing. So read the first stanza. Second thing, I want you to, as best you can, I want you to memorize one text of Scripture. And then the third thing, after, you, after you've done that, I want you to read something else in the Bible. Start with a book of the Bible. Um, I, I, was, I always tell people, like, the, the Gospel of Mark is short, it's quick, it's to the point, it's meant to be read in one sitting. Uh, and so, and so the, pick a book of the Bible. 
Pick a, a chapter of the Bible. Pick a, a verse of the Bible. Read those eight verses and then simply do what it says. So, for example, tomorrow, first eight verses, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Let the verses of, these, of this first stanza inform whatever passage of the Bible you choose to read. Right? If it's Mark, you read the first chapter, right? Or first, well, I don't, how, however far you get, right? If you get the first verse, the gospel of Jesus Christ according to the apostle Mark, right? or, or not, he's not an apostle, according to Mark, right? Even, even if you just get that, think prayerfully, Lord, how are the ways in which this verse offers me a way to be blameless, a way to experience your precepts, to, to grow in steadfastness, to, to obey your commandments, and to have an upright heart? you get the idea? Because the psalm here, this song, was meant to be just like I described. It was meant to be a how-to read, enjoy, and live by the Bible. How to actually extract life-giving meaning from the God of the universe through a book. So those are the practical steps. So that, that's the, the next reason why I want us to do this. I want us to get better at this. I want us to be better at being people of the Bible. I want us to dispense with the, the notion that we gather together on a Sunday and some people on the stage have this like special connection to God. No, friend, he has given us this. And that's why it, you'll see in the tray under the chairs around you is a Bible that I want you to take with you. If you don't have a Bible, take it with you. If you know someone who doesn't own a Bible, take them, take, take more Bibles to them. We want to get this into as many people's hands as possible. Why? Because verse 1 tells us, Blessing comes from those whose way is blameless. Why? Because they walk in the law. Remember that interchangeable word of the Lord. There's blessing. First, we see here. The blessings that come from walking according to God's plan. Walking to the way that God means for us to walk. Living in such a way that reflects his plan for our life. So that first stanza, I would simply summarize this way. Blessing, counter to maybe what we would normally think of as blessing, is what you experience when your life is the practical record of the will of God. Did you catch that? Blessing comes from a blameless way. A way that is according to the law of the Lord. Blessing is from those who keep, who maintain the testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart. So just stop for a minute and imagine how you think about blessing. Now, the, the whole book of the Psalms is an introduction to blessing. The first Psalm tells us this. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the ways of the wicked, right? And so it's as if to say, this, this, all of these songs, all of these hymns are a way to experience blessing. Now, you often think of blessing probably as you get something nice. Blessed, quite literally, is a disposition of happiness. It's an identity of happiness, now, you and I think of happiness as, as an experience of like good things, an experience of, of like a kind of a, 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 an emotional high. Oh, I have this cool thing. But notice the psalmist tells us real blessing, even in the first psalm, right? Does not walk in the ways of the wicked, does not sit in the seat of scoffers or, or stand in the way of sinners. But he instead delights in the word of God and meditates upon it every day. And what's he like? Right? Is he like a, a winner, a lion, a tiger? Right? No, he's like a tree. That's flashy. <laughs> and so I want to I tell you in light of that, that blessing comes from being rooted in God's word. 
Blessing is a disposition that even, think about it, lasts through the Psalms of lament. A disposition of, of happiness. I don't like the circumstances. I'm going to cry out to God that he'll change them. And yet I still know I am blessed. I am, I am not just an emotionally happy, but I am, think about this, a happy person. So ask yourself that. Do the people around you think of you as a happy person? Do they think of you as a blessed person? Because that, evidently, is what we're meant to get when we receive God's word for us. Now, here's the catch. We're like pursuing this blessing, and I want to warn you. This sermon series for the next six weeks has the potential to be the most boring sermon series I've ever preached. Most repetitive, most uninteresting. But it has the potential, if you'll let this sink deep in your own soul, to be the most life-changing sermon series I've ever preached for you. And I want you to hold those things and see what they are. Blessing is found in a consistency. And a life, a path, a journey of regular delight in who God is and what he's done for us. I don't know how to say this. Blessing, as we see here, is not flashy. It's not catchy. I mean this classically, and I don't, I don't mean this in a, in a vulgar way, but I mean this as it's classically defined and as it's used in common vernacular. Blessing is not sexy. Blessing is not alluring. And walking according to God's will, regularly experiencing the relentless grace and new mercies every day will likely be the least exciting thing you've ever done. And yet it will be the thing that you and I, because of Christ, do forever and ever and ever and ever. And so I want you to think of the, maybe the boringness of this sermon and the boringness and repetitiveness of this psalm as an object lesson to what I would describe as the boringness of God's grace. God is so gracious all the time that it's not even a surprise. God didn't wake up this morning wondering if he was going to be gracious to us. His nature and his character is so consistent It is so bound by his slowness to anger and his abundance of steadfast love that his grace for you and for me this morning is the least surprising thing about God. In that sense, it's the most relentless, the most predictable, the most mundane. And I want to invite you into experiencing the relentless, regular, consistent grace of God. It never runs out. And so in that sense, the repetitiveness of this psalm, the blessing that comes from what I would be the first to tell you is not a flashy, right? If you were like, if you were, if, if you were here this morning and you were like, I'm going to give you the key. I'm going to unlock everything for you. This one thing, if you'll just like catch this one thing and accomplish this one thing, it's, woo, it's going to change your life. It's like, no, no. The most important and truthful thing about you is the thing that's true about you every day. The most meaningful things about you are the things you would never skip in a day. 
the things you don't think about, the things you're on autopilot about. Those are the most true and important things about you. And the psalmist says, the people of God are invited to consider the joy and delight and blessing that comes from having the most predictable and dependable thing about us, our blessing from the Father. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Hear the language of James again, the no duplicitousness. They walk in his ways. They, they keep them diligently. They keep his precepts diligently. And then, and then he offers a prayer that you'll see many times over in different ways. Oh, that my ways would be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Don't you want to be a consistent person? Don't you want people to think of you as a dependable person? He cries out, Lord, allow me and my life to be as consistent as your word for me. And then I will not be put to shame because I'll have my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I'll praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. One of the first things I want you to see here is the, the connection of blessing here, he tells us, is with this word you saw a couple times. You'll see it for the rest of the book or the rest of the chapter. Did you hear that word keep or kept? Think for just a minute about the things you keep. What do you definitely keep? What are the things most tightly kept in your own life? Maybe you're a hoarder like me. You, you, you keep things that you don't need. But in a sense, you're keeping them because they make you think that you're going to be okay because you have them. What do you keep? Do you keep promises? Do you keep commitments? Do you keep time? What do you keep? Or do you, as he seems to imply here, do you keep secrets about sin? Do you keep habits of sinfulness? And do you keep them tight? They are well kept, locked up in your own life. And he's saying that real grace, real mercy, experiencing the power of God is when you let loose of those things and you hold tightly to his words of mercy over us. After all, that's what a commandment is. We don't often like to be told what to do. We'll reflect upon that in the weeks to come. But if you think of it in this way, have you ever, have you ever in your whole life, just to blow your mind, have you ever in your whole life wondered what to do? Have you ever been in a situation where you're like, I wish I knew what I should do? Have you ever been in a situation like that? Friend, that is what God's command, commandments are. Think about the people wandering around in the wilderness, going, what do we do? Where do we go? Right? Have you ever been there? you ever wandered in the wilderness? And God's law, the Ten Commandments, quite literally, the Ten Commandments given to those people who were wandering, and at Sinai they find out, oh, this is what we're supposed to do. And so think of the commandments, the precepts, the testimonies, right? They were kept. They took those Ten Commandments. They put them in the Ark of the, Co in the Covenant, the Ark of Testimony, right? It was, it was, it was a tightly kept, right, a, a, a valued and protected thing because it, it allowed them to remember, I always know what to do. I'm never alone. I'm never wandering. There's a God of the universe who doesn't want me to live this life in mystery, there is a God who actually has a plan for my life. And real blessing 
comes from when you know that your life is a practical record of God's plan. I'll speak to this personally, but there is no greater joy and delight in life than knowing that your life has been going according to God's plan. There's no greater joy than you can look at the circumstances and see God's fingerprints on them. Now, you, know, you and I both know this. Like, you usually only see that in retrospect, right? In the moment, you're like, I, what is this? This is crazy, right? But even now, maybe after, I don't know what this is, but, but as, as this series of, like, as, as we've learned to live with the COVID-19 and the whole last year of just some pretty unpredictable turns of events, as, are you starting to be able to stop for a minute and see, like, I think I saw God working along the way. I think I saw God doing this. There is no greater delight than to be able to look at the circumstances of your own life, the practical record of your own life, and be able to see what God was doing. Now, you know the other side of that's true as well, and I want to encourage you. Time will reveal, because you know one of the most desperate circumstances is when you can't see the will of God. And I know many of you are here right now, and that's the case. What do I do? And he says, blessing is when you can see that. So friend, hold on. He's faithful. He is steadfast. You can look to him. You can trust him. And know that in the end, we will all be able to look back on the practical record of our own life and see the handiwork of God. And declare that all things were working together for good. And we'll be able to sing this song that worthy is the lamb who was slain for by his blood he ransomed people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Like this, we'll be able to look back and go, that's what God was doing. That's what God was up to. So friend, hang on. It's not a mistake. It's also personally what I wish for my own children. More than anything else, if you ask more than anything else I want for my own daughters, it's not prosperity, success, or all these things. It is that they would know and understand and experience and obey the will of God in their lives. That they would go, ah, that's what God wants for me. And they would respond in faith to it. That's it. Side note, I love you, whether you like it or not, like my own children. And that's what I want for you that you'd be able to look back and say, this is where God was leading, and that's how I got here. Now, you may, like me, be like, I don't know how I got here. I don't know. I, wasn't, I didn't plan that. Like, I, you know, Sioux Falls wasn't on my radar 20 years ago, right? I don't, for many of you, if you roll back 10 years, you were you not where you thought you would be right now. And yet, we're invited to think, like, what if God is doing something? What if he has a plan and he's revealing himself to us? Blessing, then, is an account of experiencing that grace. Then he gives a practical word of wisdom in the second stanza. How then can a young man keep his way pure? So if the first particular part is about finding blessing and keeping God's commandment and his will, then, then we see the second stanza seem to, seems to show us that the fruit of the grace of God is a transformed desire for holiness and for purity. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Now, again, this is likely all read by, or excuse me, being written by King David. 
Um, and so it's from the perspective of a man who, at this time, thought himself young. Um, but this obviously could be applied elsewhere. But I, I always want to take this seriously. I, I personally don't think right now, just publicly, we're not very good at talking about gender. Uh, we're just not very good at that right now. So show me some grace here. But he does, men, call us out, does he not? Not that what, he is, is not that what he's saying isn't applicable to anyone of any of any, of any gender or any age, right? But he has something, friend, young man, for you. He didn't call out any other demographic. He said, young man, you want to keep your way pure? You guard it according to my word. And that's a powerful thing for us, right? Young men, and we, I love the, the research here showing us that young men, their brains are not fully developed until like they're 30, now, on one hand, that's a beautiful thing. Uh, we see God's design in that. That's why young men are so energetic, and they're like, they, they do not internalize the, con- the long-term consequences of their decisions, right? That's why if you ever, if you're on the highway and you see some really fast, loud motorcycle zipping in and out of traffic, it's never an old woman. <laughs> I just, I've never seen it. Maybe, 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 you, by all means, I want a picture of that, right? It's always a Young man, because he's sitting there thinking like, sure, you die in motorcycle accidents, but not me. And so, by God's grace, that's why God made us to where young men make great soldiers. They make great warriors. They make great leaders. They have lots of energy. But all of that leads them to think they're invincible, leads them to think they can play with death on a motorcycle, but what we find here in impurity and sin. I can dabble in this. It won't hurt me. So young men, purity is found by living and guarding ourselves according to God's word. We become more fixated on what God has for us than the fleeting desires and pleasures that this world has to offer. Those things are mirages. They will not satisfy. And so on on the other hand, it's also encouraging if, if you're a man who desires to live in purity, he thinks you're young. <laughs> I remember hearing a, a man in our church uh, speak a, a profound word. There was a, a man who turned 20 and a man who turned 80 and had the exact same birthday. And they were sharing, you know, they were, they were, they were, they were kind of sharing their, you know, excitement over their birthday and what they wanted for their birthday and what they wanted to experience. And the 20-year-old said, I can't wait till the birthday when I no longer have to battle lust. And the 80-year-old man goes, well, it ain't 80. (laughs) But he says, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Let me not wander from your word and to dabble into impurity, to think that I can somehow touch this and it won't harm me. And so we find that God's word to us, the grace of God speaking to us, we saw it, it, it amounts to blessing in the first stanza, but here it amounts to practical purity and obedience. It means that we look more and more like our perfect and righteous God. Our whole heart we then we seek. And how does he do this? Here's, here's what I'll tell you. The best summary for it is this, memorization. Look at the language here. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, that's poetic language, right? 
How do you actually store, like, how, how do you inject words into your heart? Into your, like, that, that, that's, a, that's a poetic metaphor, isn't it? How does your whole being actually store up thoughts and ideas? They're things that we commit to memory. He also tells us they're the things that we, did you catch this? We learn. Verse 12, we are taught them. 13, they're things that we declare because God himself declares it out of his mouth in verse 13. And they're the things in which we delight even more than wealth and all riches. In verse 15, the way we do that is through what? Meditate. We meditate on them. And multiple times we see that word delight. We delight in that which we meditate upon. Now, isn't that already true? Don't you meditate upon the stuff that you delight in? Like right now, you're, you're right now, if you, if you find yourself kind of like losing the train of thought and you go somewhere else for the next year, it happens, right? Uh, and you start to meditate. You're meditating. You're ruminating on something you delight in, right? Maybe it stresses you out. Maybe it's lunch. But you meditate and think upon the things that you delight in the most. And he's saying that to experience the very presence and nature of God will have transformed delights and we'll begin to meditate and ruminate upon them. So the grace of God that comes to us in increasing in holiness and purity comes by means of rumination and meditation, repetition. We memorize, we read, we, we, we think upon who God is, we reflect upon, we, we gather together on a Sunday to be reminded of it because we're so prone to, did you hear that? Wander from it. We're so prone to delight in lesser things. And so God's word offers us a mirror. It allows us to see the spurious or impure things that we tend to delight in the most. Practically speaking, if this is true for us, it means that Scripture is the means by which we feel the weight of our sin as we should. When we're reflecting upon who God is, His holiness, His perfection, when you're, like, when you're, when you're working through this book, when you're, people, when you're listening to preaching or teaching, when you're reading it yourself, you're memorizing it, you're aware of just how big God is and how small you are. And you begin to realize the weight of and the consequences of your own sin. And that is actually a good thing. That actually, we'll find out, is a cause for delight. I'll simply say it this way. As the Scripture reveals our sin, as it shows like a mirror how undeserving we are that God should speak to us and give us commandments and precepts and promises, much less that He would give us His own Son, that's when we experience the most delight and joy in the character of God. Many of you right now, you feel crushed by your own sin in despair and self-pity. And here's, here's the weird part. You're crushed by it, not because you think too much of it. You're crushed by it because you don't think enough of it. Because the minute you realize how crushing your sin is and you reach a point of actual desperation, I mean real desperation, that is when the grace of God meets you. The minute you renounce any trust in your own self, the minute you feel the weight of your sin so much, you're like, I am so incapable of anything good. I am so worthless. That's when the Lord jumps in. And if you're wallowing in despair, it's, no, it's likely not because you think too much of your sin. It's likely you're still, you're still shocked by it. You still think it's weird that you sinned and failed. But when you're desperate and realize that that's the disposition of your heart apart from God's grace, that desperation, that moment where you turn to God in desperation, that is when he swoops in. That's when the grace that he showers on us in Christ overwhelms us. 
And it becomes then our, think about that, even, even when we see our sin, we, we delight in what God has for us. God would never reveal anything to us. He would never hold up the mirror to us to let us see anything that he wouldn't have already provided grace for. You don't believe it? This is how he prays about it in the third stanza. Now deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes. Think of it this way. It is God's grace to open us up to his life-giving word. Hearing God speak is not a manner of intelligence. It's not, a, it's not a matter of maturity. It is a matter of God being kind enough to speak to you and to me, that he would be mindful enough of you and me that he would speak to us. Why is that important? Verse 19 tells us. This is the language we see in, in Hebrews. We see it in, in the Gospels, and we see it in, especially in Peter's letter. I am, in the end, what? A sojourner. I don't belong here. And the main reason you and I to meditate upon and consider and keep God's word in our lives is because that's how we survive as sojourners. The way you live as a faithful sojourner in this life is to live with a passion for the word of God. Otherwise, you will have all sorts of passions for other things that will destroy you. And they will lead to what the Old Testament describes quite literally as wandering. God opens our ears to hear it, such that you hear these aspirational prayers in verse 20. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. That's a person who realizes that like alcohol won't satisfy his, his, his longings. That pornography won't consume or won't, won't, won't satisfy his longings. That next relationship, that next job, that next thing, that next success, it won't satisfy his longings. That's a person who's met the God of the universe and says like, my soul will only be satisfied in you. And so therefore I'm consumed by longing for that which can satisfy. Namely, that the God of the universe would know my name and speak to me. Such that living as sojourners, we can endure the ways in which you and I don't belong. I, I try not to minimize this. Anytime you, if you're here, you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, and you think that Christians are weird, I will be the one person you know who doesn't try to talk you out of that. Right? Like, no, dude, we're totally cool. No, we're not. We're really weird. We do really weird things. We, be we believe really absurd things. And it's rooted in this truth. We don't believe we belong here. We have longings too deep for this world to satisfy. And that's because, as C.S. Lewis tells us, we were created to be satisfied by another world. And so we, we're, we're kind of, help us sometimes, we don't deal with that well, so we're cranky and angry sometimes when we shouldn't be. It's just because we really don't know how to deal with the fact that, that this world is so unsatisfying. Forgive us, we're figuring it out. But in its best form, Christians believe we don't belong here. God has made us for something greater. God has made us for something greater than cancer and heart disease and COVID-19 and any disappointment, you get, God has made us for something. We, are, we do not like those things. We're not okay with them. We're not going to make friends with them. We're not going to be comfortable with them because we have a citizenship in another kingdom. And so therefore, when that brings upon scorn and contempt, as it, right now you're like, what an idiot, right? Okay. I pray that, verse 22, that scorn would be taken because God will keep his promise. 
He won't leave us here in this. So friend, in the first stanza, we see this picture of blessing by keeping God's word. In the second stanza, we see a picture of purity and delight because of God's word. And then in the third stanza, we see a picture of, of even more delight and, and bounty. And, and these things, remember, remember the diagram? Remember the diagram? All of these things point to the central focus of God's word for us. Blessing, purity, and delight are found in what God says to us in Christ. So remember when I told you that you would, that third thing you'd be reading in a way that you reflect upon what the Bible has for us? Here's a practice I want to invite you into. And remember those eight words? You remember them. You, you definitely do. Those interchangeable words for God's expression towards us, for us is definitively, John tells us, in Christ. When you read this, I want you to go back and every place where it says law, word, precept, testimony, commandment, I want you to replace it with some sort of title of Jesus Christ. And here's what you'll find. In the places where you didn't even know you needed comfort, you'll receive it. In the places where you didn't even know you needed forgiveness, it will be offered. In the places where you need healing, it will be granted. I'll show you. That's, syntactically, it can be difficult, but we're going to we'll just start with the first stanza, first, first stanza, right? In all the places where it says like way or word or precept or commandment, we're going to interject some sort of title for Christ. Maybe it'll be a, a pronoun even. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. They walk in what? In Christ. Blessed are those who keep what? His son. And they seek him with their whole heart. They do no wrong, but walk in what? In Christ's ways. You've commanded that, you hear this? Like, your son should be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping with your son. Do you, do you hear it? Do you see the multifaceted diamond that God speaks to us in Christ? I've stored up your son in my heart that I might not ultimately die because of sin. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me about your son. With my lips I declare, what? The son of God, Jesus, from your mouth. In the way of Jesus I delight as much as in all riches. Do you hear it? Is there some healing that you need? Listen to verse 17. Deal bountifully with your servant, that I might live and keep your son. Open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things about Jesus. I am a sojourner on this earth. Hide not Jesus from me. My soul is consumed. Do you hear it, Christian? With longing for Jesus at all times. And you rebuke the insolent, the accursed ones who wander from Jesus. So now, God, take away the scorn and contempt because I know and trust Jesus. And even though others plot against me, I, your servant, will rest in Jesus. Jesus is my delight. He is my counselor. What you'll find here, I think, is 
Every single place that you and I desire comfort, satisfaction, pleasure, hope, each one of them is offered to us in some different way in Christ. Even to the point where I love verse 24. They're my counselors. Hear me clearly. You need counseling. We need counseling. We need to submit to some outside source of hope and wisdom. You and I need to submit to some outside source of life. You and I need to submit to and look to some outside source of purity, delight, and holiness. We don't have it in ourselves. And friend, thanks be to God, he has provided every bit of blessing and every bit of holiness, every bit of righteousness, and every bit of delight for you and for me in Jesus Christ. May we be a people who trust that, who look to that, find meaning, direction, and wisdom in that. Let's pray for that together right now. God, we thank you so much for how good you are to us in Christ. Uh, we know that we have never deserved any blessing. God, most of all, I thank you just for the, the truth of this psalm, that you are a God who speaks to his people. If there's some in this room, even now, maybe that seems like a mystery too great. Would you, would you even now grant them the, the faith and the eyes to receive something? Even right now in this room, maybe if, you're, if you're, you're, you're thinking that God would speak is the craziest thing ever, would you even now, would you do something so bold? Would you ask God to speak to you? In your own words, say, God, I'm, I, need, I need your help to listen and hear from you. Will you tell me something I need to hear in Christ? Will you tell me something about Jesus that I need to hear? Will you grant me some comfort or wisdom or solace and healing that I need in Christ? Will you give it to me? God, thank you that your ways are bountiful, that you shower your treasure of your grace in Jesus on us without limit. We thank you that it even, as the psalmist says here, it becomes a treasure greater to us than any worldly treasure we can imagine, more than riches, more than gold or silver. Might now you be so beautiful. Might now you be the meditation of our heart. Might now you be the, the deepest longing in our souls. Might now you be the deepest satisfaction and contentment that we could imagine. Give us the forgiveness we need, the healing we need, the comfort and rest that we need that only you can provide. Thank you that it's provided for us in so many different ways in this multifaceted gem of your grace, the word of God made flesh that is Jesus. Amen.